0: Who oppose our Christian faith They attempt to destroy everything that's holy And control what preachers say But God still has a few good men Who won't bend, won't bow, or burn They will fight to the end to defend that faith Till the day that the whole world learns There are things we won't give up worth fighting for, the book and the blood and the rugged cross, one faith, one way, one Lord. When the world and the flesh and the devil press on and try to tear our strongholds down, we will stand. What the non-believers say Our God has never changed His word still means everything it says It is now and forever the same The world may think that they have won this fight But there are some that can still be found Who will never give in and will never give up We will stand our ground there are things we won't give over there are things worth fighting for the book and the blood and the rugged cross one faith one way one lord when the world and the flesh and the devil press on and try to tear our strongholds down we will stand our ground won't give over, there are things worth fighting for, the book and the blood and the rugged cross, one faith, one way, one Lord, when the world and the flesh and the devil press on and try to tear our strongholds down, we will stand. flesh and the devil press on and try to tear our strongholds down we will stand our ground we will stand our ground
1: good good amen well I trust that we'll stand our ground amen like they say, that's a little easier said than done sometimes, isn't it? But boy, I'll tell you what, believers need to stand their ground There's some things that are just non-negotiable, amen? Matthew chapter 28, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, this is one of those things that's non-negotiable as far as the believer's concerned. We're dealing with missions, and again, we're going to talk a little bit about what is missions all about today give you just four simple thoughts, and we're done tonight. We'll not spend a lot of time, but we do want to address this issue as we deal with missions. It's so vital, so important, so critical and crucial that we understand what this thing's about. Sometimes we get the idea that missions is just about, you know, a a once-a-year offering. You throw some money in a plate or you make a commitment and you continue to give through the year. But missions is really far more than that. It addresses and deals with everyday Christianity really is. It's about our life as a whole. And so, anyway, we're going to take just a moment, and we're going to look here in the passage of Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. We know the Lord Jesus Christ is <clears throat> preparing to ascend back to the Father and uh, to take His rightful place there at the right hand of the Father. And notice He says, Go ye therefore, verse 19, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now again, missions is a term heard often in fundamental Bible-believing churches. However, it may not always be completely understood. So what is missions? Well, in our text, we're introduced to what is often called the Great Commission. And basically what that is, is the Great Commission spells out our marching orders, if you will, and it essentially tells us what the meaning of that mission is. And so it's important that we understand that. So what is missions all about? Well, we're going to give you four simple thoughts today, as I mentioned already, four statements, and I hope that from those four statements, it'll be understandable and we'll get a better feel for what missions is and really what our part is in missions, all right? So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll continue. Father, <clears throat> we thank you again for the privilege, the opportunity, and the, uh, just the, the wonderful chance that we have now to gather here under the precious perfect book that you've left us. We thank you for just your presence in the Holy Spirit. We thank you for just this building that we can meet in. Lord, this, becomes, uh, this is just where you meet with us tonight, uh, not because you are somehow living in this building. You live in us. But as we come together as believers, you are in the midst. We thank you for that. We just pray again you'd walk these aisles, that you'd do a mighty work in our hearts and our lives. Lord, truly help us to understand what missions is about. And Lord, to apply it to our own lives. And Lord, we'll thank you. We'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, what is missions all about? Well, first of all, missions is about evangelizing the world. We talk about evangelization, we're talking really just simply about witnessing or sharing the gospel. And the book, again, in Matthew 28 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations, he says. He's telling us to go out into all the world, teach all nations, Mark chapter 16, 50, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. God wants every human being reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants every single human being to hear about the need or to be warned about a place called hell and to know of his marvelous salvation. God wants everybody on this earth, everybody to hear the truth of the word of God. Now, it's important, it's absolutely essential that we warn people. Sometimes we get the idea it's our job to win people, but it's really our job to warn people about the coming judgment and the need to receive and accept Christ. Look at Ezekiel chapter 33. We have here the prophet Ezekiel. He's going to go ahead and share some things with us here in Ezekiel that are pretty basic, pretty fundamental, pretty simple. Now, Ezekiel chapter 33 Verses 3 through 7, and we're going to go ahead and take a look at those verses in just a moment here as we arrive. Now I trust you're getting there. I've just gotten there myself. So here it is: Ezekiel 33, 3. If when he seeth the sword come upon the land. Now let me go back and let me go, let me start in verse 2. Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, verse 2, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, If the people of the land take a man of their coast and set him have him excuse me, when I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coast and set him for a watchman, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people. Then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning. His blood shall be upon him, but he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take away, <clears throat> take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou, o son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. Now in this particular case we have Ezekiel and God is letting him know that he's been set or made to be a watchman. And that watchman is setting on a wall and that watchman is watching for the enemy to find its way into that country. And the moment that that watchman sees the enemy approaching, recognizing the danger of the enemy, he's to blow the trumpet and to warn the people of coming doom. If indeed they take warning, they heed the warning, then they are delivered. But if they choose not to heed the warning, then their blood is on their own hands. But if that watchman does not blow that trumpet, if that watchman that was placed there to protect the people and to warn them fails to warn, Then their blood is on his head, in his hands. He tells Ezekiel, he says, You are that watchman. And may I say today in the New Testament, you and I today are the watchmen. You and I are on a wall today and we are viewing and scanning the horizon for the enemy and we know that there's an enemy approaching and we recognize and understand that there is a people that is lost without Jesus Christ. Somebody's got to warn them and we have to do that. We are the watchmen. It's about evangelizing the world. It's about evangelizing the world. It's our duty, it's our responsibility to warn the world. You may not be able to win your neighbor, you may not be able to win your family member or win the person down the street or around the corner or at work, but my friend, you can warn, and so can I. And that's our responsibility today. We are watchmen. I've told the story a number of times, but... Out on uh, maneuvers, when I was in just, uh, this was just even in the, uh, well, actually, I was in the army at the time, and uh, they, we had taken a particular portion of ground, and we'd set up our communications and put in a kind of a, 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 a command center. And so they went ahead, and we dug these foxholes around the perimeter, and we placed people in those foxholes. And of course, if there were people that approached that were not authorized to come forward, they had to you know, show their IDs, they had to be identified and all of those things. Well, one night, of course, uh, the, the colonel decided to do a <clears throat> kind of a spot inspection. <clears throat> it was late. It was probably about midnight. And I still remember I was in a foxhole that was setting slightly uh, back from the perimeter. And out on the front perimeter there, were probably about 40, 30, 40 yards from me, I saw the fellas down in there. Uh, They'd been talking and messing around, and all of a sudden, you know, everything got quiet as the night came, and well, unfortunately, a few hours later, I saw some headlights out in the distance. I could see them through the lights, and I saw the lights go out. I mean, you can see light a long ways when it's pitch black, I'm telling you, and I saw the lights go out, and I could hear just the little hum of an engine. The engine stopped, and it wasn't long after I could hear twigs and sticks cracking, and and I thought, man, what's going on? <clears throat> All of a sudden, the colonel walked up. I could see him, and I thought, man, he is gonna fall right in that, that that foxhole. He is right over by that foxhole. And he walked on over there, and next thing you know, he stopped. He looked down in, he pulled a flashlight out, and I saw him flip it on. And I went, oh no. He shined it down in. <laughs> Those guys were sleeping. They were out like lights. Man, I'm going to tell you what, none of us slept after that. (laughs) I mean, he got the whole camp up. Everybody's up. He went crazy. Oh, it was not good. No, no, no. See, the watchmen, they were supposed to warn someone. They were were on duty. They had a responsibility to stay awake and have a keen lookout. But no, they fell asleep on the job. Sadly, as believers, if we're not careful, we'll fall asleep on the job. Let's face it, the temptation is to get a little weary, the temptation is to grow a little tired, the temptation is to grow comfortable in the world in which we live. And sometimes it's just a lot easier not to have to look for the danger and to point it out to others because sometimes they think we're just out of our minds. It's about evangelizing the world, letting them know about Jesus Christ, warning them about judgment that's coming. It's also about enlisting all mankind into the family of God. Not only evangelizing the world, but about enlisting all mankind into the family of God. That's winning people. We are to seek to win people to Christ. We ought to try to do our best to convince them and to to, to encourage them to receive and accept the, the Lord Jesus. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah that we're to come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as... as uh, I always mess that up right at the end. <clears throat> they shall be as wool, actually. That's the word it's supposed to be. You look it up sometime. Chapter 1, verse 18, Isaiah. <clears throat> I'm telling you, we're to reason with people because we need to enlist all mankind into the family of God. Boy, again, he doesn't want them just warned in the end. He certainly does want them to come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And to be saved. Look at Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. We see the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a big heart it was. What a compassionate heart it was. I like that little chorus or song it says, No one ever cared for me like Jesus. Boy, isn't that the truth, huh? Well, here in this particular passage, we see evidence of that. Here he is standing over Jerusalem, and he is now physically on earth at this point. And he says in Matthew 23, 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stoneth them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. What compassion. Think about that for a minute, would you? O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stoneth them which are sent unto thee. God has been trying to reach the world forever. He's always trying to reach the world. And in this particular case, he's established a nation by which his oracles would be, going, would, would be taken into the world. And yet the world has rejected it. The, the world has denied the truth of the word of God. The world has rejected the God of the universe. And He in, in, in this case, they killed the prophets, it says. They stoned them, which were sent to them. And he says, even so, I don't care what you've done, I don't care how you've treated those that I've sent, I don't care what you've done with my efforts to try to reach you. I still love you. I love you. I love you, and I want you to come to me. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but his long suffering to us word. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If God can forgive the apostle Paul, if God can forgive those that killed the prophets and stoned them which were sent to them, I promise you and I guarantee you, he'll save every sinner on earth today. He wants to save everyone, no matter how wicked, no matter how sinful they are or have been. A number of years ago in St. Louis, a lawyer visited a Christian to transact some business. And before the two parted, the client said to the lawyer, he said, you know, I've often wanted to ask you this question, but, you know, I've been kind of afraid to ask it. Well, what do you want to know, said the lawyer. Well, I I was wondering why you're not a Christian. The man kind of hung his head and he said, well, I know enough about the Bible to realize that It says no drunkard can enter the kingdom of God. And, well, you know my weakness. Well, you're avoiding my question, continued the believer. Well, said the lawyer, I I really can't recall anyone ever explaining how to become a Christian. Picking up his Bible, the client read some passages showing him that all were under condemnation. But that Christ came to save the lost. That he came and he died on the cross for their sin, that he paid the penalty. And that by receiving him as their substitute and as redeemer, you can be forgiven, he told the man. If you're willing to receive Jesus, let's pray together. The lawyer agreed. And when it was his turn, he said, Oh, Jesus, I'm a slave to drink, I'm such a sinner. One of your servants has shown me how to be saved. Oh, God, forgive my sins. and Help me overcome the power of this terrible habit in my life. Right there on the spot, he was converted. That lawyer was C.I. Schofield. The Schofield Bible is named after him, and he was saved from a life of drunkenness. Again, the Apostle Paul was a persecutor and murderer of Christians, and still God saved him. I wonder what sin is it that keeps you from receiving Christ if you haven't already? Can I tell you that God's grace is always bigger than our sin? The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That law reveals to us our sin It spells out and it outlines God's righteousness. And as we view the word of God as a mirror, it points back at us and we see ourselves as the sinners we truly are. But may I say God's grace is greater than our sin. John 1, 12, the Bible says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The 19th century Scottish preacher Horatio Bernard he asked 253 Christian friends at what ages they were converted. Well, he discovered something pretty interesting. Under 20 years of age, he found that 138 of those 253 had been converted, which is about 54, almost 55%. He found that between the ages of 20 and 30, 85 of them, adding up to about 33.6%, had trusted Christ. Between the ages of 30 and 40, He saw 8.7%, 40 and 50, 1.6%, 50 and 60, 1.2%, and between 60 and 70, 0.4%. Now, those trends still hold true today, by the way. However, it's not a mere 54.5% that gets saved before the age of 20. Today, it is 77%. 77%. Can you imagine 77% of all those that will come to Christ in this generation in which we live, according statistically at least, are will be saved by the time they're 20 years of age. That's pretty alarming if you ask me. And yet it's information that's so awfully important. I mean, there is an overwhelming majority of those coming to Christ that are going to be saved at a young age. Their hearts are still tender and sensitive to Christ. They've not been completely corrupted by this anti-God, just rhetoric that permeates our culture. They haven't been taken captive by those seducing spirits that, that are spoken of in Timothy or the, or the doctrines of devils. It's amazing. It's amazing. The lies and the falsehoods of evolution and, and the negativity of the gainsayer, those that hate Christ, hasn't yet taken root in their lives. Can I tell you, they're still open. There's still hope. That's why we run our buses. That's why we teach our Sunday school classes. That's why we tolerate the challenges of reaching the undisciplined and the unchurched. You say, why in the world do we build buildings like we do and then bring a bunch of kids in that don't have any, uh, that, that could care less? They destroy our properties. They do things to it that shouldn't be done. Can I tell you, it's not just the bus, kids. It's yours too. But nonetheless, let me just say, I'm telling you that they can be reached yet. There's still opportunity. There's still hope for them. That's why we do it. We need to knock on doors. And based on the percentages I'm reading about it, may I just say this? Percentages are wonderful and they help us to kind of ident- identify areas that we can focus on. But can I tell you that God is bigger than some, some uh, uh, what do you call those? Survey. Our Savior is bigger than a Survey. Do you know that that survey, 77% that I just recently read about, that means nothing to God. He can overcome all those obstacles. You can still lead a 50-year-old, a 60-year-old, a 70-year-old, an 80-year-old to Christ. There's still people in the world that want to be saved. But you let the devil tell us that they can't be done today because it still can Because it's not you or me, and we're simply warning. He's the one winning them, the Lord Jesus. We are to be evangelizing or witnessing. We're to be enlisting or winning the next. The next one is this. It's about involving every believer in the work. Missions isn't just an individual job. It's a group job. All of us are to do it together. We're all to work together. We're a big team. And God commands every believer everywhere to go and to tell the world about him and his salvation. And that includes you, and it includes me. As we read, read already in Matthew 28, 19, go ye, he says. Go ye. That's an individual mandate. That's an individual commission. It's very personal, it's very specific. Go ye into all the world. Go ye, go ye. Again, that commission includes you. So that's for the church. It is for the church, but can I tell you the church is comprised of individual believers? Many members, one body. Every believer's commission, and not just preachers, not just paid staff, everybody. The message is for all, and all are to participate in the mission, and that mission includes you, and it includes me, and it includes everyone that names the name of Christ. We're all to preach, we're all to teach, we're all to reach everyone we possibly can. Missions begins at home, and it begins with you, and it begins with me. See, the work of the ministry is to make disciples. We might say things like this, it's to reproduce ourselves. See, the real work of the ministry is reproduction. Take your Bible, let's do just a little bit of a study here. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, we read, and of course we know what has transpired at this point. Pentecost has taken place, but he says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day, verse 41, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good day's work. It's not bad. You know, we're doing all right. We just get 3,000 saved today, We're doing all right. We could do that every day. It'd be important to have it done, okay? I mean, we need to get that done every single day. Let's see, there's what, 7.8 billion people in the world. Let's see, 3,000 souls a day. I don't think we'd ever even come close to reaching that many, would we? We'd never even come close, even at 3,000 a day. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So we see that they were faithful, it says. Daily, verse 46, daily they were at the job. Daily they were busy about telling others about Christ. But then they were fellowshipping on a regular basis as well. We see them going from uh, breaking bread from house to house, eating their meat with gladness and singleness, he says, singleness of heart. They were of one accord and singleness of heart. Boy, to get a church on board, to all be focused, to all be on the same road, going the same direction, how important is that? It's true in a family, in a marriage, it's true in a church. One accord, singleness of heart. They were faithful, they were fellowshipping, but also, notice verse 47, they were fruitful, praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? I'd like to see those results every week in our church, right? And that's, all, that's something we need to be praying about, something we need to be working toward. Because I'm telling you, the work of the ministry is making disciples and involving every person in the church, involving every believer in the work is so important. Acts 5.28 now. Notice it says once again, Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? Peter's creating a lot of havoc. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Man, that message is going out even when there's opposition here. It's going out consistently, continually. But again, I want you to notice something about these earlier passages in the Scriptures. We note that up to chapter 5, we have seen addition. Souls being saved and lives being changed, yes, but we've noted addition. But hold on. Something happens between chapters 5 and 6 of the book of Acts. Something changes. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, multiplied, There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Notice there's multiplication. Notice verse 7. goes on to say, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Multiplied. Multiplied. I want to do an illustration, but I don't have enough people up front. All you guys are distanced. It's wrecking the church. (laughs) At least this illustration. When you think of addition, it's simple, isn't it? It's me going to someone with the gospel and saying, hey, Jesus Christ died for you. He was buried and he rose again. Do you understand that if you'd put your personal faith and trust in his finished work on Calvary, he'd wash your sin away, he'd receive you into himself, he'd give you a home in heaven? He wants to save you and forgive you. You need to understand that because of your sin, there's a penalty. That's why he came, and that's why he died, and that's why he rose again, and that's why I'm coming to you because I want to spare you an eternity in hell, and I'm sharing with you Jesus Christ. Will you accept him? He accepts Jesus Christ. Okay, come on up. So now we have... Two of us, we've just added to the team. Multiplication, however, changes everything. Addition is one thing. I keep adding people. I keep adding people. But hold on. Multiplication is when now he and I both go add some people because now we're multiplying. Now it's not just one person reaching the world. It's two people reaching the world, and we offer the same opportunity to them. They accept the opportunity. Shake his hand because he needs that. Stand up. Now, all of a sudden, we're multiplying, all of us now, I because they're saved now, they're encouraged, they're, they're grateful to the Lord Jesus Christ for the price, the penalty that he paid. Now, they want to do something for God, and they want to tell others about Jesus Christ, so we all go and find somebody. Let's go find somebody. So here we are. We're out on the prowl. We're going into the world. We're warning people about Jesus Christ. Brother, let me tell you something. Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ rose again. Better find somebody. We're not multiplying too good. <laughs> All right, now we're going to stop right there, but now watch. Now there's eight people saved, but then those eight go out and win somebody else. That's called multiplication, Good. and that's what was happening in Jerusalem. Thank you, gentlemen. You can sit down. It wasn't mere addition. It was multiplication. Multiplication. And that's how the world is reached with the gospel. No way in this world can we reach the world of 7.8 billion people by simply adding to the church. We got to multiply. And we do that by reproducing ourselves. Reproducing ourselves. God intended that every believer reproduce themselves. I hope that you don't have a low self-esteem because there's a difference between low self-esteem and being humble. This idea, well, I don't think much of myself. I don't think I could do anything for God. That's called pride. You don't understand that maybe, but that's what it is. Don't, Don't go there. See, you won't step out of your comfort zone because you love yourself too much. Well, I don't feel comfortable doing that, and I don't want to lead somebody to hell by giving them false security, false hope. Well, why don't you learn more about Jesus then? Why don't you learn how to lead them to Christ? The problem is, is that we are all too self-conscious too many times, and we're unwilling to go to the world like Jesus did. It. Amen. It's our pride that keeps us from being out there warning people. It's our pride that keeps us from winning people. It's our pride that keeps us from all being plugged in and involved in the work. Somehow, some way, it's a little less uncomfortable if we're not putting ourselves out there. Addition's not going to get it done. If you're waiting on someone else to go win enough people, it won't get done. It only works if there's multiplication. That's how the early church changed the world and turned it upside down with multiplication. While D.L Moody was attending a convention in Indianapolis on mass evangelism. He asked his song leader, Ira Sankey, to meet him at 6 o'clock one evening at a certain street corner. When Sankey arrived there, Mr. Moody asked him to stand on a box over there and just start singing. He's like, that's crazy. Well, once a crowd started gathering, Moody, he got up there and he started to speak. And he began to invite people to follow him nearby to the convention hall where they were ultimately going to be, you know, where he was going to be able to share some things with them. And so he gathered this group together, said, come follow me. They went with him into the convention hall. There in the auditorium. There were all these spiritually hungry people. And D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, began to give them the gospel right there on the spot. Then the convention delegates began to arrive. Moody stopped preaching and said, Now we must close as the brethren of the convention wish to come and discuss the topic, how to reach the masses. Did you hear what just happened? See, Moody illustrated the difference between talking about doing something and going out and getting it done. Okay, it's time for us to stop. I'm sorry, I've been giving you the gospel and people are getting saved, but that's all, we gotta stop now because there's those that wanna come and discuss the topic instead of actually do it. Can I tell you, we're not short on Baptists that wanna discuss the issue. We're not short on preachers that wanna discuss the issue. We need churches, pastors, and people that say, talk's cheap. We got to get it done. Many years ago, the late Sam Shoemaker, an Episcopalian bishop, he summed up the situation this way. He said, in the Great Commission, the Lord has called us to be, like Peter, fishers of men. We turn the commission around so that we become merely keepers of the aquarium, Occasionally, I take some fish out of your fish bowl and put them into mine, and you do the same with my bowl, and we're all just tending the same fish. We will never reach our city, we'll never reach our state or our country or our world by simply swapping fish bowls. We spend so much time trying to put on program, and I'm not just talking about our church, I'm talking about in general, so-called professing Christianity, to put on a good program, to make it appealing and palatable. We want to be able to just gather and bring in all the Christians. I'm going to be frank with you. I am extremely opposed. Listen to what I'm opposed to, and, and it's going to change how we do things around here. I'm extremely opposed to pastors getting on the internet and preaching to other people's people, other pastors' people. Amen. If, if, listen, if you are watching tonight for some reason, by chance, and you have a pastor, you watch your pastor, please don't listen to me. God didn't intend you to listen to me. I got nothing for you. Right. You're right. Amen. Now listen, I know some people are like, that's not right, that doesn't make any sense. Why not just get the truth out there? Who cares? Hey, there's something called local church in the Bible. Now listen, if there's lost people, I want them listening. I want them to get saved. But if you're a church member and you have a pastor, you ought to be at your church right Amen. now listening to your pastor, not me. They come back, Pastor, I heard Brother Thielen, so I'll say this. And I don't understand. Do we do that? or You shouldn't be listening to him, first of all. I know. Preacher's got to close mind. He's getting old. I didn't hear that, and I don't want to know what he said. <laughs> so what, what do we have so far? We said what's mission's all about. It's about evangelizing the world. And when I said it's going to change some things, by the way, let me go back because I know some of you are freaking out. What's going to change? Just how we have, have deal with our Internet, how we deal with our live streams. Eventually, you're going to have a login in order to get onto our live stream. That'll accomplish two things. One thing it'll do. It'll force you to be a member of our church to get onto our live streams on Sunday night and Wednesday nights. Number two, it gives us access to your camera so we can make sure you're not in your underwear. (laughs) Okay, so maybe not that far, but nonetheless. Okay. Okay. All right, so we said, what's missions all about? It's about evangelizing the world. It's about enlisting all mankind in the family of God. It's about, as we said already, involving every believer in the work. And finally, it's about ensuring that all the earth may know. But we know that God's the creator. We talked about that a little bit this morning. In Isaiah chapter 45, verse 12, the Bible says, I have made the earth, he's speaking now, and he said, and created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens, and all their hosts have I commanded. You know, as creator, God deserves and he demands our admira- admiration and, 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 and worship. He deserves that. You know, when I think about someone coming to Christ now, <clears throat> I don't think about it as far as let's rescue them necessarily, just rescue them from hell. I think about it, let's introduce them to the God who they deserve to worship, who, who they owe their best to. Man, God, we, we owe God our best. We, he deserves our very best. It's not just about him doing something for me. It's about the fact that because he created me and he gave me every aspect of my life and and, and, and every ability that I have, I mean, I ought to be falling on my knees and worshiping the Lord and praising the Savior. Whether or not he saved me or not, he deserves that. He's our creator. And one aspect of missions is to ensure that all the world knows who God is so they can properly worship him. We know and have read recently in the book of First Samuel chapter 17 dealing with David <clears throat> that he said to the, the Goliath, he said to the giant, this day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day into the fowls of the air to the wild beast of the earth that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. Boy, there's so many, so many giants in the world the giants of finance, or opposition, not the giants of fear, the giant of rejection, the giant of trials in our life. But we need God in our life. We need to take down those giants and the truth is is that, we, when, that is, when that happens, it's that all the earth may know. Don't ever think that what God does for you or what he does for me does simply for us. He actually does it for everyone. When God blesses you with a prayer request being answered, He wants you to share that so that someone else is inspired to start asking. He didn't just do it for you only. And I know that we like to believe that. You know, we're all about, well, see, he loves me, I'm special. Can I tell you that I'm no more special than you are? But you're no more special than me. Can I tell you that God wants to bless all of us? Let's walk according to the Word of God. Let's live in a way that... Gives him or provides him an opportunity to bless us, but when he blesses, he does it so yes that we can receive a blessing and be be more confident in his his reality than ever, but also that we can share that reality with others. That all the earth may know. Solomon dedicated the temple, and in the midst of his prayer, he begs God to bless Israel. Why? Why did he want God to bless Israel? He tells us in 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 60 that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is none else. Why do you want God to bless you? Why do you want him to bless your family? Why do you want him to bless your ministry, your, your finances, your marriage, your children? I would hope and pray that You and I both would come to the same conclusion that Solomon did that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is none else. So many have become discouraged, haven't they? They believe somehow that folks don't want to hear anymore. Others get disappointed because they don't see the results that, well, they desire. And some have just bought into the bogus lie that it just can't be done today. We're talking about starting a church. Out of our church this year, we're going to start a ministry. I don't know exactly where that's going to be yet. I've got a, it's going to sound crazy, but I've got a a big picture with this dot in the middle that represents our church and 35 and 45 miles around it, it's on my bathroom door. Yeah, it works. I see it. Come face to face with it. Can I tell you, it's something that I need to be praying about, but can I ask you to do the same? I'm going to tell you, there's something about, we start, if we start a church, there's so many people that believe it doesn't work today like it used to. Some of you will say, well, you can't do what you did 25, six years ago, pastor. It don't work like that. You can't just start churches like you did in 1994. It don't work. Can I tell you I heard that too back then? It's always been the same. There's always pessimistic, critical people, those that don't believe God can do miracles, kill giants. But I'm going to tell you what, we want to start a church and we want God to do a miracle in it. We want to go to the right place at the right time with the right people. And the right people is this church. We're going to go and we're going to canvas areas and we're going to knock on doors and we're going to help to build a ministry there and we want to see God do something miraculous that all the earth may know. The young salesman was disappointed about losing a big sale. He talked with his sales manager and he said, you know... I guess it just proves you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. The manager said, Son, take my advice. Your job's not to make him drink, your job's to make him thirsty. And that's the case with evangelism. See, it's not your job and it's not mine to make them drink, it's our job to make them thirsty. We need to paint Jesus so big and so wonderful, because he is, that they want him too. All the earth will know when we are willing to give up all the world for Christ. All the earth will know when we're willing to give up all the world for Christ. That's a sobering thought. The Times Reporter of New Philadelphia, it's an amazing article. It came out a number of years ago, but it was called The Times Reporter, and it was in New Philadelphia, Ohio, and they reported in September of 1985 about a celebration of a New Orleans municipal pool. The party around the pool was held to celebrate the first summer in memory without a drowning at the New Orleans City Pool. First time it's ever happened. In honor of the occasion, 200 people gathered together, including 100 certified lifeguards. As the party was breaking up and the four lifeguards on duty began to clear the pool, they found a fully-dressed body in the deep end. They tried to revive Jerome Moody, who was 31 years of age, but it was just too late. He was gone. He had drowned, surrounded by lifeguards, celebrating their successful season. Not that amazing? That's <laughs> not funny, but it's just like so ironic that it's hard not to laugh. I mean, can you imagine all those lifeguards there? and a the man drowns while they're all present. We need to be on the lookout for souls. May we not become so preoccupied with our activity, so enamored by our successes that we fail to recognize those that are drowning in sin. What's missions all about? It's about evangelizing the world, witnessing. It's about enlisting all mankind into the family of God, winning. It's about involving every believer in the work, working. It's about ensuring that all the earth may know, worshiping. We've got a big task ahead of us, an enormous task. The Lord Jesus told us that we're to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't do that alone, and neither can you. The truth is we could combine all of our energies and we still would come up well short. The only way we'll ever accomplish anything eternal and lasting is if we ensure that we let him do it through us. Missions. Boy, what an immediate need in the church today. What an immediate need in our culture and the society in which we live. You know, instead of getting angry at people that don't agree with you or the word of God, why don't we choose to love them and to try to reach them with the truth instead of burying them with it? Father, we come to you. Thank you for the privilege and the opportunity that we have to share the gospel not only missions around the world, but even right where we are today. And Lord, at the end of the month, we're going to even once again ask folks to make a commitment to missions. But Lord, the truth is is that that commitment needs to be made right where we are today. Every last one of us needs to be committed to missions, not just financially, but physically. We need to be truly concerned about the lost, and we need to do our part. To reach the world help us Lord we pray to have a burden for missions and a burden for the mission well thank you in Jesus name amen let's all